Hey y'all, I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, the pantsuit is our uniform of choice. We celebrate ambitious women, not demonize them. And we've heard enough from Bill Clinton. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Beaver Talk. Hey, Diana. Hi, how are you? You know, I was just watching a table read of Grace and Frankie on YouTube. Oh my God, that sounds like a delight. It was a delight. These are, these are the times we're in. Anyone is available. <laughs> Everyone is at home Zooming. It's, uh, it's fascinating, but I love a good table read. Were they, was this like an in-person table read pre-coronavirus or was this like, did they do something special? This was Zoom, everyone in their living rooms. I'm kind of of fascinated by just like looking into people's houses. I think it's the best. What, uh, what kind of things are you seeing? Are you able to like look into the houses that are around your parents' house? Well, I mean, just like of... Of the celebrities, I'm saying, I'm meaning like when you can like, (laughs) you know, get a, get a, like a nod of how people are living and, you know, some people's houses are ordinary. Like some reporters look like they're just in normal spaces. And, you know, I, I reposted a thing of, um, I think it was Cindy Crawford and Naomi Campbell and their, their homes were just like covered in photographs of them. (laughs) Like it was amazing. Never forget where you came from. I mean, seriously, it's it's interesting to see kind of what people adorn their spaces with. Yeah, I've been loving it. I think you can totally tell that some celebrities are like in rental property that mm. they've like secured for the time being. Yeah. Because um, it looks really like anonymous and boring and mm. like not and that they don't look like totally at home in it sometimes. Like, right. It's interesting to kind of see where people have landed. I got to say though, I'm kind of, I can't watch Ellen like in her gorgeous (laughs) billion dollar, you know, I just, it's, there's something that irks me about it with all the love in the world. Yeah. I mean, I watched like the first few, of her shtick of like calling friends to see what they're doing. And then I just kind of couldn't watch her lie down on her couch anymore. I felt really bad. I was just like, I, this is like too stagnant for me. I know that we're all like just basically lumps, bumps on logs right now, but like it was too much for me. Yeah. Her house is just so beautiful and you could fit like 10 families in it. And I'm just like, (laughs) I can't. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of like whose content I've been really loving during this time. What do you, what's your take on John Krasinski and his little feel good YouTube shtick? I like it. I think it's fun. I also love him as a newscaster and kind of want him to get hired as one after all this is over, Mm. like in a movie. Yeah. That'd be cute. He's just so sweet. Like there's such a like, I like the idea of doing good news, you know, I mm-hmm. think it's like an easy win for him to kind of stay relevant and stay around during this time. Um, I'm, I'm here for it. I think it's fun. 
It's interesting too who feels in their heart they need to create, you know? I think it says a lot about like the artists that are like feeling like they need to just do something, you know, to stay busy and to stay active and engaged. And I think it's very sweet. Yeah. Melissa Villasenor from SNL has been doing a daily craft. Mm. So she does like clay, she does drawings, she sings, she does impressions. And like each day of the week is a different day that you can tune in for. Um, and she's like just really diving into her creativity in this time. And it's been such a joy to watch. Like she's such a fun person and, um, she kind of like posts these little schedules each week of what she's going to be doing each day at a certain time. It's really fun. It's so cute. I like when people like make the effort to like structure it and like really commit themselves to it. You know, I was just thinking actually about our big Instagram live debate And I feel I've thought about it more and I have a better answer based on what you just said, which is I think if you're doing something structured and you have an intention and a plan, you know what I mean? But if you're freestyling, nobody cares. Yeah, completely. I mean, the best Instagram live I've seen in through this whole thing is, um, the gal from Schitt's Creek who plays Alexis did a little bit of Alexis and did like a how to of how to do the dance on Instagram live. And Dan Levy was like all in the comments, like cheering her on with a huge glass of wine. And it was probably my favorite thing that I've ever witnessed. Are you in Schitt's Creek morning right now with the season wrapping? I just started the season. So I feel like I'm like, a week off of that morning period. My friend Rebecca is like seriously struggling. She's, she finished it like, and has just felt like her left hand has been like removed from her body. She's dying. It is sad too. It's such a, it's a show for these times. Cause it like is so light and loving. But I know it really, it must be hard on, I don't know. Like it must be weird to end a show during this time, you know? Like we're in such a like, I mean, obviously we're in such a like heaviness as a world right now. And for Dan Levy, like that show would have been his world. So it's just so much, so many endings and so much grieving, you know? Mm-hmm. But in a way to like a natural break for him to kind of regroup and I mean, I don't know. It it depends on everyone's process, but at least he'll maybe get some time at home. <laughs> <laughs> to rest I don't know yeah I mean I hope so I'm thinking of you Dan Levy yeah love that guy um well we've got quite a series to talk about I don't even know where to start we're diving into um Hulu's four-part documentary series special on Hillary Clinton and I where what where should we begin? I mean, I guess, you know, this picture, which is an incredible kind of snapshot of not only the 2016 election but Hillary's career, her life, um was directed by a woman named um Nanette Bernstein who got 1700 hours of footage from the 2016 campaign. And um, then continued to weave in Hillary's story past and present. Dinah, what was your first kind of 
what's your, what was your like overall feeling about this before we kind of dive into the specifics? Ah, you know, I've been thinking about that all day (laughs) in the lead up to this episode. Um, I kind of broke up my viewing into two parts. So I watched the first three episodes, um, about a month ago. Mm -hmm. So like beginning of March ish. Um, I actually watched it the week that Elizabeth Warren dropped out of the 2020 presidential race. Um, and I got to the fourth episode, the final episode where they go into the 2016 election and I got eight minutes in and had to turn it off because I felt so triggered. (laughs) Yeah. I just felt so emotional and, and like, I don't want to do this again. Yeah. Um, and I feel really mixed about this series. Like on one hand, um, I loved so much learning more about Hillary's early career, her childhood, you know, all the work she did kind of throughout her political rise. Um, I, I am just always really inspired by, and it's, I think it just always bears reminding how much public service this woman has done. Um, and what she, what she has accomplished, um, in her career. And on the other hand, I felt mixed because it just kind of was a doc version of her book, What Happened. Mm. Um, And I thought there was kind of a weird tonality to that where I'm like, I don't really know what we're supposed to take out of this um, that we didn't get in the book. And then on the other hand, I felt really defeated. Do (laughs) you... Just to go back to that point, did you feel like it it didn't hold enough perspective in, in say that it kind of was in the middle from like a tone perspective, like not on her side or against her side? You felt like it was kind of too central. Oh, I definitely felt it was on her side. Okay. Um, we're definitely seeing Hillary's story as told by Hillary. Um, Mm -hmm. but I kind of just felt like, I guess where my brain went with this is like, I didn't feel the way I felt at the end of knock down the house. Right. Where I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Well, I'm Hillary fired lost. <laughs> she lost, but it also was like, we know she lost. Right. We knew she lost four years ago. Yeah. So what are we doing here? Like, what am I supposed to take out of this? And to be honest, at the end of it, I felt just kind of like, okay, so like as ambitious women, are we just fucked? Like, are we just like is the world going to beat us down and we're always going to be held in our place and we're never going to be able to achieve the things that men achieve in equal positions. Like, and I know that's not the takeaway and that's not how she's meaning (laughs) this to come across, but I just did not feel, I did not feel the way I felt watching AOC sitting outside the Senate building. Yeah. But AOC got to win. I mean, I think this it's, I I hear what you're saying that like you want to feel this uplift uplifting, um, power, feminine energy, you know, breaking the glass ceiling, but Hillary didn't, I mean, I don't know if there was any way to, to make it feel good when she lost, you know what I'm saying? Like those are two different narratives. Then I, I guess it's just like, where do we want people to think knowing that we're going to the polls again in November? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there's a missed opportunity here for it to be like a mobilization again. 
I mean, I guess that's if you think that people who don't like Hillary are going to watch this. Because I couldn't Right, we get, have to think about audience. Right, right. I mean, I couldn't get my dad to watch 10 minutes of this. <laughs> he was like, I don't like her. And I kept going, you know, dad, it's four up. Like, let's get into it. The bill, like, it's all there. And he was like, no. <laughs> like, yeah. wouldn't even, you know, couldn't even entertain the space for it. You know, a man who will sit through Vanderpump rules with me. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think your point about, and it's not a fair comparison between the two docs, but I think to your point, like at the end of this, one of the women who's interviewed says, you know, we're not ready for the trailblazers. Mm. We're ready for the ones who come after them, but we're not ready for the ones who start blazing that path. Right. And, and maybe that's what I'm feeling is just kind of like at the end of this doc series, I just kind of felt like, okay, and so what? Mm. Like, what now? Like, where do we go from here? I will say I felt like it was almost, and I was reading some interviews with the director, and I know one of her big takeaways was that she really wants young women to know how fragile our power is and that it can be taken away. And I think part of it, too, towards the end, felt that tone of, you know, this is a lesson of the way that we've treated ambitious women and that we can't take advantage of or forget our history. And I do think there was kind of that seriousness towards it. However, I hear what you're saying about wanting to leave space for hope. And I think one thing that I was really craving is like, I feel like for me, when Hillary Clinton took the DNC stage in her white suit, I feel like that moment changed my life. Like, I remember where I was. I remember how it felt to see a woman step into power. And I felt like we missed that moment. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even featured. Yeah. There are so many moments where I feel like I didn't actually see anything. Hmm. Um, you know, you, you mentioned she had 1,700 hours of footage from that campaign. All I feel like I saw was her on planes. Yeah. And like, I, I made some notes and we can get into it, but like even the moment where she talks about like helping Huma when she gets the message that, yeah, with the, with the Sundays, I'm just like, I don't want you to tell me that. I want to see that. Mm. I want to see. And like on, on election night, she's like, Oh no, 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 no. We didn't film it. Like nobody wanted to film it. You a hundred percent should have filmed a part of that night. Like, this is what makes storytelling profound, is getting those moments where people are at their most vulnerable Mm. alongside the moments where they're taking the stage at the DNC. Right. That's what gives them the gravity. That's what gives them the weight. If we're only ever seeing Hillary when she's in control, then we, you know, it keeps us a little bit aback from when she loses the presidential election. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that as like somebody who's a big fan of hers and I know you are too, I was hoping in this series that I was going to see more of that. Yeah. That it was going to be a little bit of a pulling back of the curtain. Um, and not so much like what it was, which I feel like is a very constructed, albeit powerful. Like this documentary absolutely has powerful moments for me. Um, but I just wanted a little bit more, I think. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, 1,700 hours is a lot of hours. Um, and it is interesting. Those those vulnerable soft moments are really what we crave from Hillary. I think when I remember reading the book, and the book is an interesting comparison for sure, about kind of the different nuances and layers of her story. But I did did gravitate towards the vulnerability, like you were saying, as those moments being like what you really want to sink your teeth into. Because I feel like we know the public Hillary. We know the polished version of her. Um, I, th- I thought one thing that the film did a really powerful job. I, I, it's interesting to split a documentary up, too. Um, in the way the different episodes felt, because I felt like the first one did give me that hope. And I felt like hearing her speak at, um, I can't remember, what was her university again? Barnard? Yeah. Is that right? Um, You know, being the president of her class, speaking, you know, having the students um, elect her to speak, having her, you know, rebuttal the Republican um, commencement speaker on the fly, like, I felt that hope in that first episode and I felt like they did a really beautiful job kind of giving us everything. But then I did feel like towards the end, it it felt like it was getting harder and harder to sync the past with the present. And there's so much, I mean, this could have been 15 hours long that I felt like towards the end, it was a bit rushed pacing wise you know, it was like, we got Benghazi, we're going here, we got the, it just was like, oh my God, there's like a million things that could be talked about. And I, and I wonder if that was a bit of, of a disservice in the editing room as well, because it was like, we're, we're racing towards the end of wrapping up all of these big things, you know, which kind of leaves us on a pacing front feeling like, you know, the speeding train is heading towards the end, you know? Yeah, completely. I think it's, I think what you've struck on is like a really good point about how this story is structured. Because um, I agree with you. I think the last episode there's not a there's not a single frame of footage in that entire episode, aside from the interviews that like we didn't already see, either during the campaign or, um, you know, it's just it's all footage that we already know if you followed the election. Mm-hmm. and they really rushed to wrap it all up and to get it all like to come together. And I almost feel like it would have been stronger. Like when Hillary talks about how she called Barack Obama and he said, well, you got to call Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not going to concede till the morning, you have to call him. And it's like, where's that? It could even be a still image of the moment right before she calls him. Right. Or like, it was too much like here's all the polished things that came out of that election. And I'm going to just tell you about the things that really hurt me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I want to see the things that really hurt you because that's what effective storytelling is. And when we, she talks about that moment at Barnard during her graduation, you know, we see footage of like the news clippings and we see like interviews from her classmates. And it's just such a more tactile story because you have those players coming to the front who are giving it legs and really, you know, sharing their experience of what it was like to hear her say those words at the commencement. And it's moments like that that I feel like is something that I agree gave me hope. And it's in the last episode where I just felt completely hopeless. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, like, OK, what do we do? Right. It's almost like I was cast right back to 2016 where it all felt like it was caving in around us. Yeah, um, totally. I could feel the like the grieving. Um 
of the city. I remember like it's so viscerally. It, it's pretty similar, actually. I feel like to like the energy now of just like the shock and um, yeah, we all remember how it how it felt. Obviously, I wonder if what you were saying about like you just gave me an idea of like maybe a different ending, which is like to me, Hillary embodies like resilience and fortitude and this idea that the election is over, but she's going to keep fighting for us. And maybe the ending wasn't the end, but it was more of like her rebuilding and her and her, you know, beautiful upstate house and like journaling. And maybe there was more like a more finished, unfinished space we could have given the end. I think it, I think you've hit on something really great there. I would have almost left it unresolved. Yeah. Because we know how it resolves. You know, we were all there. We know exactly what happened. Like, let's leave space for like how this resolved for Hillary. Mm-hmm. And she says in the interview, she says, I got in the back of the car and I collapsed. And it's like that. What happened after the you collapsed? Right. Like what? Like, did you go to bed for like six weeks? And she gets into this little bit and what happened? But that's the story I want to know. Yeah, exactly. How do you rebuild from that moment of feeling yeah. like you let the whole world down? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I think it's, I think that's where I was like, I know all this. I know all this. I know all this. Okay. Like that one sentence you just said at the end, I want 20 minutes more of that. Hmm. You know? Well, I think also, you know, we're, I think all looking and, and wanting and feeling kind of that spiritual, um, healing right now, I think as a culture, Um, and I think when this was made, (laughs) you know, I I feel like there was something very political and very definitive. And I I feel like that wasn't the intention of this filmmaker, I'm assuming, which is why we didn't see it, obviously. Um, I, it's, I would, I want to see like 15 more documentaries about Hillary, honestly, because I think there's so many different ways you can tell the story. Yeah, I agree. Where where would you want to go next with it? I mean, I think what we just talked about would be really cool, like that idea of resilience. I could I would also love to just see more like vintage and archival and I think one of the things that really spoke to me, I think as a millennial is this idea of Hillary the feminist and mm. learning about her in Arkansas and like having to change her name and what what compromises she made, you know, in order to fit the mold a little bit and how funny that like, that's the thing that like we can't relate to her as, you know, especially like young women who were on the Bernie camp, you know, they don't see her as like this feminist icon. They see her as part of the establishment. I feel like that's like one of the major flaws when like her whole career and her whole life, you know, she's been told she's too radical. I thought that was like such a fascinating you know, piece of history that I felt like I, I definitely didn't know. Yeah. I think the, the dichotomy of how she's navigated, like being a public figure her for the better part of her life, um, and how she's managed to stay true to her values as a public figure, you know, listening to her constituents, listening to what the people want, um, sacrificing herself in a big way to Mm. be in a public figure in a public space while navigating how she remains true to her values is something I found really interesting for her to talk about. 
Like I loved when she talked about, um, while she was campaigning against Bernie, she said she had immense pressure from people in her camp to just say that she's going to, um, eliminate student debt. Just say it, just say it. So you can like play on the same stage as him and that you won't look like a total like stick in the mud. And she was like, I told them no, because I can't deliver on that. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to be president, I don't want to be making promises to people that I cannot deliver on. And the integrity of that and her saying that, like the pressure must have just been immense for her to like change everything about herself in order to like fit this person, fit this progressive candidate. And I loved that she was like, I didn't do it because I don't believe in it. I didn't do it because I don't believe I can deliver on it. And I think that there's just such an immense amount of integrity in that statement. Um, You know, whether you agree with it politically or not, I I admire a person who says what they're going to do and does what they say, you know? For sure. I mean, it's interesting. I feel like that's, I know that they spoke about this. I think one of her, you know, staffers said like, that was one of her huge faults is that like when somebody would ask her a question, you know, she wasn't going to give you a buzzword or, you know, like a one liner. She was going to walk you through like the 15, 300 page plan, you know, um, which was extremely admirable. And she was like, I'm not going to just say things to say things like I'm going to tell you how it's going to get done. But the friction of that with the way people, you know, perceived it and, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I thought one of the most, the, what you were saying before about like how she's had to balance her, her career with her, herself and her public life version and, and kind of what she decides to take and lose. I thought a lot of it obviously is well centered around her relationship with Bill and how they helped and hurt each other through their careers. What did you think about you know, that whole section, you know, from her relationship to his campaigns, to his relationship to hers, to Monica Lewinsky. I mean, there was so much to unpack there. Yeah, I could have done without Bill Clinton being in this documentary altogether. (laughs) (laughs) Like, candidly, don't think he offered a single soundbite that gave value to her story. Mm. Um. I thought everything that he said was either said by one of her communications people or was shared by Hillary herself. And I did not, it actually made me uncomfortable to hear from Bill Clinton in this. Cause I, I just don't believe that he needed the platform. Um, uncomfortable in like what, and what do you mean by that? I mean, the amount of forgiveness and the amount of space we've given to Bill Clinton over the, past, you know, 20, 30 years, um, is something that we would never give to a woman ever. And I thought the whole point of this documentary is to show in partly to show how unequal men and women are in the political and, and, and public space and to have him in the documentary almost felt like he's like, I mean, he's like the poster boy for white male privilege. And I just did not, it just like really felt so off to me to hear from him. I couldn't have cared less about everything he had to say. I didn't care how he processed it. I didn't care about him apologizing for it. Like I just didn't want to hear it. And I feel like when we got into the final episode around, you know, Trump being 
um, you know, accused of a sex of sexual assault and the comparison to Bill Clinton, it's kind of like, yeah, <laughs> like, so let's not have him in this documentary and taking up valuable space around a, wo- a woman's story that we could have told, as you said, like 15 other ways. Um, I thought that was kind of, yeah, I, I just, I did not, did not love hearing from Bill Clinton in this one. I mean, I, I hear you. I think, I also think as a couple, it was kind of, I don't know. I feel like I, I'm with you on one page that like we're, we give men so much space. And I feel like I even remember when she was campaigning that like his photo would appear on the front page of the paper. Um, and that idea that like the forgiveness of it, I hear you. I, I did also think that there was something very interesting about I about hearing a couple talk about their marriage, about hearing them talk about how they work together. But but I it could have just been her talking about it. You know, I don't know if we necessarily needed all the space. Um. Yeah, because as you were saying, like everyone, you know, could could have weighed in on it. We didn't necessarily need need his voice, perhaps. No, and I mean, there's the Clintons are so powerful, and whenever I hear the Monica Lewinsky scandal story told, I just think about Monica Lewinsky's life at 24, 25 years old, being fucking annihilated by the White House, and how like Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton like have continued on to have illustrious careers and like, that's not their fault. I'm not saying like any of this is their fault, but whenever Bill Clinton talks about that time in his life, I just think of Monica and I think of what, how scary that must've been and how like devastating it must've been. And that story just always like hits me in the gut Mm. of like how vulnerable she was to such a powerful man. Um, and how she just, she just got completely raked over the coals for it. Yeah, I did think it was interesting that he said he, like, followed her career, and it was, like, icky to hear. Horrible. It was horrible, and, like, I, yeah, I was watching that episode of it, and I was just, like, this is, this has taken a bizarre turn. (laughs) I'm, like, why? And he's, like, apologizing, and I'm, like, we don't need to hear this from you. Like, it's not his movie. No, not your movie, and, and you were impeached. So like moving on, you don't now get the space again to tell your story and your side of things. You were the president of the United States. Like, come on. I thought the part too, where Hillary was like, you can go tell your daughter now was like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. And the fact that wasn't the first time and that this had been a part of their, their marriage since the beginning, like he was just so unfaithful to her and, having to keep up this, again, this public persona as a couple, the first couple of the United States. Um, I mean, I remember in that episode feeling like I like could barely breathe. Like I could feel the pressure. I could like barely breathe in some of those sound bites from Hillary. She just, she was like, it was like she was being transferred back to that time of needing to keep up so much and then have it all come crashing down around her. Also, I wonder too, America has this weird obsession with the idea that men can't be faithful to ambitious women. 
Mm-hmm. And somehow it's our fault because we want too much and we're, you know, too aggressive or too interested in our careers or don't care about our family life. And I wonder if there's a real like subconscious personification that's happening with the Clintons there as well, you know? Yeah. In the sense that he cheated on her because she's so ambitious. Yeah. Just that idea that like, if, if women stayed in the home or yeah, that they could like kind of take care of their man a little bit. I'm thinking of that, that horrible movie, the intern with Anne Hathaway oh, where yeah. her husband, she's an entrepreneur and her husband cheats on her cause she's an entrepreneur. Oh it's kind of, do you know what I'm saying? Did you yeah. see that movie? Yeah. 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 Um, and somehow yeah, Robert I mean, De Niro is the star of that movie or whatever. It's like all very bizarre. Like maybe we should like have that conversation without Bill Clinton being in the fucking episode. Mm. Like let's have that conversation. Like that's something I would have asked Hillary. You know? Yeah. If it's all going to be on the table here and we're going to make a four part series about your life and your career, like let's get into it. I don't care about Bill Clinton apologizing and talking about how hard that time was for him. Get into like the self-sabotage, get into the like um, upper limiting, get into, you know, ambitious women being put in these positions of power and then not being, you know, the story of them not being able to find love. Right. Like let's get get into it. Being unlovable, being unlikable. Yeah. There's a lot there that's bubbling. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we kind of treated it. Um, we treated it as if, you know, Monica Lewinsky didn't exist and her whole life wasn't completely ruined because of it. Right. And we treated it the way that we wrap it up in like a little bow because you have to move on because you're still married. And um, I just thought it was kind of a waste. Yeah. I thought it was a weird, I, I, I completely agree with you. I feel like there wasn't enough space given to like the weight and the gravity of that affecting women and how that affected women. Um, and a lot of energy, obviously on giving Bill the space to come off like a good guy and ask for forgiveness and, you know, get his soap opera tears in his eyes. And it was a bit much, too much, too, too much. Although I believed every word of him. I think he's a very charismatic person, obviously. Uh, yeah, I think, I think he's extremely charismatic. I think he completely self-sabotaged. I think that, um, I believe him too, but I think that like, it's, it's not what needs to be taking up space in this context. Totally. Um, can we hop over to another man who takes up space in this movie that I want to hear your thoughts on? Please. What did you think of the Bernie of it all? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. Um, I loved the Bernie of it all. I loved how candid she was. I love that she called him a career politician, said he didn't have a job since he was 41. Nobody likes working with him. I loved seeing how honest she was about that. Um, I thought it was shocking. I thought it was refreshing. You know, I, you know, it's interesting. We're seeing it play out right now, right? With Bernie just dropping out of the election, you know, giving Joe Biden plenty of runway. You know, he didn't give Hillary the same opportunity to, like, unite the party. And I 
I think it's okay. I think it's so it's fair enough for her to be pissed at him. Um, and it's fascinating. And I, I didn't think he was given a ton of space, but I did like the drop in, you know, and the Bernie of it all, I think needed to be addressed. I think it needed to be addressed, but I don't, I don't know if I agree. Mm, Tell me more. Um, I was really confused as to how they addressed it. Um, they had just, you know, talked about how she spent a big part of her career fighting for healthcare, which is something that Bernie Sanders has also dedicated a lot of his career to. Um, and I found her anger, her visceral anger toward him, um, to be like, to be a bit toxic, Mm. um, and a bit confusing because to me, what they stand, they're very similar in what they stand for on a base level. And I'm interested that she is so angry with him still. And again, it's one of those moments where I wish we had like gotten into why. Because she talks about Bernie Sanders almost in a more angry way than she talks about Trump. And I was really curious about that. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there must be other layers to it, obviously. Um But I think, I don't know if we've heard her anger before in other spaces. Um, I thought it was kind of refreshing to hear her be honest about it. I didn't think it was, I didn't feel like it was toxic, although, you know, it's heavy. You know, that's, it's, you're totally right. It's not like a brush off, like annoyance. Like there's a serious resentment, you know, towards him. Yeah, and I was interested that, like, you know, as someone who I come back to the healthcare thing, like, she just fought so hard for healthcare and was really in a position of power to be able to, like, bring that to the forefront while Bill was president. Um, and that's something that Bernie Sanders campaigned on and was quite adamant about. And, like, I was interested that that was never kind of picked up as a through line for her to then say, like, but X, Y, and Z, like, here are all the reasons why. I'm so frustrated by him and why we were never able to come together. But I think the thing is, is like he would call them corrupt. You know, he would take, you know, she's taking big money, Wall Street. I mean, he raked her through the coals in a way that, you know, as a woman, she could never really respond to. You know, she wasn't allowed to be angry. She wasn't allowed to call Bernie. You know what I mean? Like, I think, you know, I think it was one of the journalists or one of the people on her campaign was like, the way we can attack men now is like not what we could do post or before this election. Yeah. You know, she still very much had to walk the line and kind of just take it. Um, and I mean, if you were campaigning on somebody who was on your freaking party and they're calling you corrupt and dragging your name through the mud and like yada, 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 it's like, fuck you. I, I'm totally on <laughs> Hillary's <laughs> side. I'd be pissed too. You know, at the end of the day, I think he really screwed us over by waiting so long to drop out. I think Mm -hmm. it was like a totally toxic. I mean, even at the DNC, he was like he reluctantly said her name. You know, I thought it was very. I don't know. I think she has every right to kind of feel in her feelings about him. I I still feel that way about Bernie when Mm -hmm. I hear him speak and I hear him. I just I feel like he really. You know, their relationship, I think, was very intense. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think it's a good point. 
I think the whole dropping out um, conversation is an interesting one because I watched this, as I mentioned, like the week Elizabeth Warren ended her presidential race um, or her campaign, I should say. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching the episode of, with Bernie um, and Umer was at, uh, he was out that night. I forgot where he was. And he came home and I literally like just started yelling when he got in the door. And I was like, we don't fucking value smart women. We don't support them. We don't support them as political candidates. We don't, you like, I was just like so angry. And so I agree with you. I think that, I think that her anger in that moment is something that, um, I found extremely cathartic. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting. We just, I think, you know, when looking for those real moments of vulnerability and passion, I think it was refreshing to see the anger and as, you know, women in America. And I mean, there's lots to be angry about. I thought it was nice. I like it. Um, <laughs> I got to just name that the debates, <laughs> all <laughs> the footage of the debates <laughs> are still so fucking hard <laughs> to watch. Yeah. I, I just had to like get up and like, I almost wanted to like sage my entire living room. I was like, I still can't watch this shit. I'm going to be honest. The Trump of it all, I found oh to be. Oh my God. Because I don't watch him on TV. I don't look at him. I pretend he doesn't exist. I really, I'm very, I don't like to even see him. I get like, you, I feel disgusting looking at him. And I thought having him be part of the whole thing was like, I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know, there's space <laughs> for him, you know, to take up as little as possible. But I, it was, that was really, really, towards the end, I was, I was very uncomfortable. The debates were painful. The end was excruciating. I mean, it's a, that's, it's a tough fucking ending. It's a tough story. It didn't go well. I mean, as we all know, I, it was a lot. The end was a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think that again, it's like, how do you end something where we all know what happens? Um, and you're dealing with a public figure who, you know, there's an agenda, there's like a structure that I'm sure they all agreed upon. Um, but the Trump of it all was really hardcore. And that last episode, I mean, like I said, I had to split it up into two. Cause I was just like, I can't fucking watch this again. Like yeah. I can't watch this happen again. And when she debates him, I mean, I said this in back in 2016 to one of my male friends. I was like, watching her debate him is every single woman being talked over or completely dismissed in a room full of men. She is all of us in those debates, mm. just completely showing up with all of her homework done, all of her T's crossed, all of her I's dotted. And it doesn't fucking matter because the guy across the aisle gets to play the angry man and he's going to win. Right. And it just like, I just, I can never get away from that feeling that like, I've obviously never run for president, (laughs) never had to debate people on a national stage, but I've sat in situations and been in rooms where I felt, I'm sure the way she felt where it was like, you can do everything and it's still not enough. Right. Well, I thought that was striking when one of the reporters said like, okay, like who should we model? Like, what should we tell Hillary to be more like, Yeah, you know, like what is the perfect ideal female candidate look like? And nobody had an answer, you know, like everything is like to this or to that. And there is such a heaviness 
as you said in the beginning, to being a trailblazer, you know, that we are not ready for these women and they really just take it for us. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the pressure of being the first of anything Mm -hmm. is like this weird double-edged sword where it's exciting and it's meaningful because you're the first to be doing it. But at the same time, you're venturing into uncharted territory and quite frankly, nobody wants you to be there. And so you're not supported. You're not uplifted. You can't emulate anything. You really have to just stick to what you believe in and stay the course. And I felt that in the moments when she's standing on that stage with him of the pressure and how horrible it was to be the first. And then to see her in her concession speech, when she talks about how proud she was to be the champion Mm. for women across the country and how little girls are valued and that their dreams matter. I'm going to like cry just saying it like uh, the two sides of that are, are just so heartbreaking. Absolutely. I think the one thing that I admire the most about Hillary is, is kind of this unbridled, untamed movement forward that like, you know, despite, you know, being the first, you know, lawyer at a law firm or, you know, despite having to, you know, be super radical and tone down her ideas, like, yeah, she was going to take on healthcare as first lady. Like, yeah, she was going to run for office of New York. Like there was almost like no question about how high she was going to soar. And I think that there's something so deeply refreshing and so inspiring about a woman who has like no boundaries in like how much she can achieve and how much she can take on. And like, in the beginning, hearing people go like, she's remarkable. She's like the most brilliant woman I've ever met, you know, time and time again. And like, are we there yet now? Like, no, but like we have these incredible, like fireball trailblazers who are just going to like do it, you know? Yeah. And that doesn't mean that they have to be everything to everyone. And I think that's something that Hillary gets really, criticized with is like you know everyone who dislikes her pointing out x y and z of things she didn't support things she said in the media you know everything that has been public over the past 30 years of her career um they point to as like reasons for why she shouldn't have been president or reasons for why we shouldn't like her or reasons for why we shouldn't support her and i think it's a i think it's a um double standard that we expect her to be everything. We expect her to be this trailblazing feminist who's going to stand for everyone and be there for everyone while at the same time she's going to be popular and be president and be able to win the office. Um, I think that something I really um, connected to and thought about when I was finishing up this documentary, one of the people say that she played the woman card too much and that she focused too much on the fact she was a woman throughout her entire career. And that's why she, she wasn't maybe able to win. And I just thought about how like, yeah, cause men just get to be people mm. and Hillary Clinton never gets to just be a person. Hillary Clinton has to stand for all women or she's corrupt or she's the first lady or she's the S- secretary of state or she's all these things, but she never just gets to be a person the way that men do. And I think that's something that, 
I was thinking about at the end of this is the way we've dehumanized her and made her something that is like almost not even, not even human anymore. Oh, just a thought. Sorry. That was like a really long rant. No, I, lost I my mean, train you're, of thought halfway through. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're totally right. We live in a man's world. We play by their rules and you know, it's interesting how, how it affects our personal personas, how it affects, you know, how we have to compromise our careers, how we compromise in our marriages. You know, we have to exist in all of these spaces um, and it's painful and it's, it's truly remarkable that she is able to continue to stay positive, to call herself an optimist, you know, through such excruciating critique. I mean, it's wild. There's one scene where she talks about little girls and how thrilled little girls were to meet her on the campaign trail and how they were like her biggest champions and cheerleaders all the way along. And she talks about why she was running. And she says to um, a kid, she said, I want your parents to be able to say, whether it's to you or a little boy, your brother maybe, I want your parents to be able to say, both of you can grow up in this country and be whatever you want to be, including president of the United States. And I just like burst into tears when she said it because it's such an admirable goal you know, it's, it seems so simple when you state it like that. And yet in this country, we still can't say that. Hmm. We still can't say to little girls, yes, you can be president of the United States. But we have to. And that's where the optimism comes in. And, you know, you hear all the time, you can't be it if you can't see it. But that's part of what trailblazing is, is just doing it because you believe in it. And you probably don't have somebody to emulate and you probably don't have somebody who's been president before. So you follow in her footsteps. We don't have that. So it's going to take a little girl to just believe she can do it in order to achieve it so that it can be normalized for all the future generations. And I think that's what hits me so hard with Hillary is like she wanted so badly to be that. So future little girls could see her and like aspire to the same things. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Amen, amen, amen. <sighs> I'm just like getting it all out now because it just unearthed all of these things. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think what you were saying before, I mean, she is all of us and we've all been in this position of being underestimated, of being talked over. And it's a heavy burden for her to carry really, you know, to push this through. And it's going to take, you know, more time and, you know, more energy and more people opening their minds, you know, it's, it's really fascinating actually, you know, just thinking about my father and trying to get him to watch this and, you know, he, him and my mom had a big fight over this election because he is a registered Republican. He's never voted Democrat in his life. He was having a really hard time figuring out what he was going to do with his vote because he was like, I'm not going to vote for Trump, but I don't think I can vote actually for a Democrat. And he ended up writing in 
someone's name. I can't remember another historical figure to like make a point to the Republican Party or something. I don't know. But I was talking to him about it and I was like, you know, sometimes like the world that you want to live in, like you need to be open to like what the rest of the world needs. Meaning that like, you know, you didn't think it was appropriate to vote for this woman. Like, what about for your granddaughter? Like, what about for her world? What about for my world? You know, I think sometimes people get so stuck in their own bullshit that they can't even like see beyond like the history of it. I thought that was really interesting when they talked about like how it was so clear for everyone that, you know, Barack Obama was the first African-American candidate, but that no one was talking about Hillary being, you know, the first woman in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. How on some level Barack Obama running was still normalized because he was still a man and we're still used to seeing men in power. I thought that was an interesting statement. Yeah. Oh boy. Wow. We just heavy sigh it out here. Where do we go from here, Aaron? Well, I mean, I want to see more, 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 more about Hillary, about her life. I want people to continue to give her the respect that she fucking deserves. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. This election is going to be really bonkers. What are you, are you having any thoughts or feelings? You can't vote. (laughs) I can't vote. Can you Um, vote with your green card? What goes on with voting in a green card? Yeah, no, you can't vote till you're a citizen. And I, I would have to give up my voting privilege in Canada. I see. Um, which I probably will never do. So I'll probably never vote in the United States, but who knows? Life's a long time. Maybe I'll, I don't even know if I'm going to pursue dual citizenship at this point. So um, that's not for another 10 years. Interesting. Um, how do I feel about this election? I think it fucking sucks. <laughs> I think. Joe Biden sucks. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, listen, like, it's like Gloria Steinem posted this. I mean, what is time anymore? I think it was two weeks ago. Um, there's never been a better time to be radical and to be progressive. There's never a better time to get universal health care in place. There's never been a better time to get paid maternity leave in place. There's never been a better time to get infrastructure in place because as we've seen in the past month, when we don't have infrastructure, we have a crisis that we can't control and we have a population that we can't support when they get sick and when their families get sick and when they have to go to work because they have to have health coverage and I feel like I just want to like punch a pillow and go march in the streets. (laughs) I feel so fired up right now. Um, and I can do nothing about it. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I'm trusting my husband will do something about it, but, um, yeah, I think it fucking sucks. I think this election is, uh, really kind of a poor showing all the way around. Yeah, How do you feel? I, I think you, I think you named it. I think you, uh, yeah. I mean, all of those things. I feel uninspired by Joe Biden. I'm bored. I don't think he. I've seen him talk over his wife. You know, when I've seen him speak publicly at events for women, I'm not impressed. I'm not wooed by the Obama of it all. I'm, you know, I. It's not great. 
it's not an option. And I think that I want women to get really angry and really vocal. I want minorities to get really angry and really vocal. And I think that this crisis, this global pandemic has shown us that we have to start community is everything. And we have to start showing up for each other and holding our government accountable because they're our lifeline when things go wrong. And right now the government of the United States is not providing a lifeline to its people. And I think it's, and I think it's a tragedy. I think it's horrible. Well, you've got my vote, Diana. Thank you. I'll be prime minister one day. (laughs) Yeah. You never know. (laughs) Um, I want to leave on like a hopeful note, but this doc doesn't leave on a hopeful note. So I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to pivot. Well, what are, let's maybe let's pivot all the way around. What's, what are you watching? What are you listening to? What's, what's feeding your soul right now in a different way? Nice. Um, I finished Ozark, which is not feeding my soul, but I have got to say, I would love to do a Feminist Wednesday Beaver Talk episode about it because I think it's probably the most complicated and nuanced writing I've seen for women on screen Hmm. as of late. Interesting. Um, It stars Laura Linney, uh, and she is just absolutely phenomenal in this show, and and the way that all the female characters are written is really incredible. And I actually got into a fight with my husband about how he sees them as all like fucking up and I see it all as like extremely powerful. So I think there's a lot there. Interesting. Um, I'm, as I said, I'm starting Schitt's Creek. So excited to, excited to go through the last season, but kind of trying to go as slowly as possible. Cause I don't want it to be over. Um, and then I think that's it. Sopranos, Sopranos forever and always. Cause I'll never get through it. Um, <laughs> I'm on season four, just if you're curious. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where everything's at. How about you? Um, you know, I'm listening to a lot of podcasts. I'm, um, I'm listening to a lot of Ask Rana, which is an advice podcast, which are you listening to it? No, but I should be because Rana reposts us. I know it's, she's amazing. I'm obsessed um, it's such a breath of fresh. It's funny. It's empathetic. She gives great advice. It's amazing. I love it. Um, I just ordered Untamed by Glennon Doyle from nice. my local bookstore. That's going to be delivered to me from who knows when and how. Um, <laughs> and I'm very excited about this book. I read Love Warrior a couple of years ago and I was really struck by how honest I, I feel like I told you about it when I was reading it. Yeah, you totally did. Um, and I really am. I'm very excited about this book. I've heard great things about it. I love the way she writes. I love the stories about her and Elizabeth Gilbert working together to write this book, not to write it together, but their, you know, banter about making it better and, yeah. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Um, you know, and I guess I'll also just be cruising Instagram for, you know, more table reads and who knows what else is on there on the internet for us. It's become a magical place of all things. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I love it. Um, how are you doing up there in Buffalo? Are you holding tight? 
you know, I feel strangely calm these last couple of days. I feel like I have like a couple of days where I'm like, oh my God, everything Mm -hmm. is crashing and burning and what the hell are we doing? Um, But I'm doing, I had a really good day today. I go in waves of feeling like totally capable and so I'm, I'm riding a good, good energy right now. So I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. I think I relate to that. <laughs> You're ready to light your house on fire and yeah. call Bernie Sanders. Oh, my God. Fuck everybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're having, we're having him flowing. I'm grateful um, for you. I'm grateful for this. And I'm grateful for incredible trailblazers. 100%. I also (laughs) want to put a call out to Betty's that Diana and I are, we want to hear your stories. We want to know how you're doing. You know, we're trying to figure out a way to kind of get you more involved in the show and hearing your voices. So if you want to slide into our DMs or send us an email at beavertalkpodcast at gmail.com, we want to hear from you. We want to know how you're doing. We want to know what's what's lighting you up, what TV best friends you're relying on. Um, we would love to check in. To yeah, give let us a us jingle. Know. Yeah, reach out to us and we'll uh, we'll tack you on to an episode. Um, you can give us a review. You can give us some unsolicited feminist advice. Do whatever you feel, really. There are no rules anymore. No rules. <laughs> All right, Erin. Well, happy Feminist Wednesday. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Bye.